Erev Tov, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Monday night Mishle class. Tonight, Shior is sponsored by Dr. and Mrs. Charles and Amaria Botbol in memory of her mother, Mrs. Gita Levi Batmalka Zichronali Vracha, a special lady that touched the hearts of many. And Bezrat Hashem, may the words of Torah and lessons of life that we learn tonight be Leilui Nishmata. And she'll find her place in a higher level of Gan Eden. And again, We are continuing with our study of Mishle in the fifth chapter, Pasuk Aleph. And we have a very, very incredible class tonight with a lot of potent, important messages to relay to you. And we hope we walk out of here tonight with a special, different understanding of how the Yetzir Hara, how the evil inclination affects us and what we need to do to overcome this. The beginning of chapter 5, according to <clears throat> many scholars, is actually the words of David HaMelech, <clears throat> King David, saying to his son Shlomo, Shlomo is obviously the composer of Mishle, so he's writing what his father is teaching him, and then only afterwards does Shlomo HaMelech <clears throat> instruct his children as to the teachings of, uh, of his father. But he begins over here by saying, Beni lechochmati hakshiva. My child, be attentive to my wisdom. Litvunati hat oznecha. This pasuk, our rabbis tell us, introduces the subject of withstanding temptation which is an area where man's quest for pleasure blinds him to the dangerous consequences of such a course of action. And Shlomo HaMelech is informing us that only with far-sighted understanding, and that understanding only comes through wisdom and understanding, Chochman Bina, which we've spoken about over the series of lectures on Mishle. Only through that can a person withstand the demands of the senses that a person gets of immediate gratification through the Yetzirah. I want you to think about and imagine all the times in your life that you have succumbed to the Yetzirah, to the evil inclination. And if you knew, if you had the far-sighted vision of what the result would be and what the consequences would be of that action, Ask yourself now, would you have done it? Would you have listened to the inclination? And the answer is most probably no. And therefore, Shlomo HaMelech says, Incline your ear. Figure out and try to discern what is going to be in the end. Play chess. What is it six moves ahead? And if the answer is, maybe I shouldn't do this, then it's maybe smart not to follow the advice of the Yetzirah. To heed wise designs and let your lips safeguard knowledge. Again, to be careful to keep thoughts of wisdom in your heart at all times. Because when you do that, you get to push off the Yetzirah. You get to push off the inclination. When you speak words with your lips, you are attaining understanding. You're attaining that to Wisdom, Torah wisdom, 
And Torah we've studied before already is the Tavlin is the is the re, the remedy to the Yetzirah. And now he begins with a more metaphorical uh, explanation. Kinofet titofna siftei zara vechalak mishemen chika. For the lips of a strange woman drip honey, and her palate is smoother than oil. Chachamim tell us here this strange woman, this zara, is a metaphor for heresy. And the strange woman is a, a married Jewess who is forbidden to another man. And the sense of the metaphor, of the mashal here in this pasuk, is not to be enticed by the strange woman, by heresy. Because the heretical words are words that are sweeter than honey and whose palate is smoother than oil. Choosing honey, which is a kosher product from a non-kosher insect, the bee is non-kosher, as a metaphor, teaches, teaches us that even uh, innocuous works written by heretics may convey attitudes and ideas that are against the Torah, and therefore to be avoided. We have to be able to filter out the honey from the non-kosher bee. Rav Sadia Gaon views this strange woman as a symbol for all of life's pleasures. But Vilna Gaon takes it one step deeper. And he says, you know, there are two stages of difficulty which the Yetzer the evil inclination, imposes on a person's uh, performance of a mitzvah. On the one hand, the evil inclination tries to deter a person from performing the mitzvah before he does the mitzvah. He makes it seem very difficult in his eyes. Maybe it's something you cannot accomplish. He'll give you a whole bunch of reasons and excuses not to do it. And even when he's performing the mitzvah, the Yetzirah tries to prevent the person from deriving full pleasure from it in this world. And therefore the two statements that we mention in this pasuk Contrast this with the sweetness of sin. Number one, the forbidden women's lips drip sweetness, sweetness of honey, says the Vilna Gaon, as she entices a person before he actually sins. Number two, while he's sinning, while he's transgressing, the sin seems to him smooth as oil because he enjoys great pleasure from his deed. And therefore, a person needs to exercise wisdom and understanding extremely well because that's what's going to protect him from this strange woman. The Shla Kadosh advises us, if the Yetzer Hara tells you to commit an Avera, what should a person think? How can he combat this? So he writes that a person should say, maybe Hashem is testing me right now. Just like he tested Abraham Avinu this week's parasha. Think, perhaps this is one of the key tests in my life. And if you have that in mind, you're going to pass your test. And he continues to say that when a person knows that he's being tested, he will be very vigilant and he will pass the test. To think those thoughts, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends us challenges to test us, to test people. And fortunate are the people who always think about God. Interesting, 
I saw a beautiful Remez allusion to something that takes place in this parasha along these lines, in this week's parasha. Although it's not a parasha class, but it's not a coincidence that this week we have the ultimate Abraham Avinu's 10 tests, the sacrificing of his son Yitzchak, Akedat Yitzchak. And as he's proceeding to sacrifice his son, the Torah tells us, Vayisa Avraham et enav, Vayar vehine ayil achar nechaz bekarnav. Avraham raised his eyes and saw that, behold, there is a ram, another ram entangled in the bush. This is after the angel told him not to sacrifice his son. What is the definition of Ail Ahar Nechaz Another ram. Was there more than one ram? There was only one ram. So why does the Torah have to tell us Ail Ahar, another, another ram? So the Orla Shamaim has a beautiful chidush in the name of the Jose of Lublin. And he says, what does it mean, Ailacher, another ram? It suggests that the Akedat Yitzchak was not just a one-time event that happened with Abraham and Yitzchak. But instead, whenever a person, whenever a Jew is tempted to do an Avera, whenever the Yitzhara is attacking a Jew and wants him to sin, and get, trying to get him to succumb to sin, and he refrains, and he holds back. That's an Ayil Acher. That's another Akedat Yitzchak. It's another sacrifice that the Jew made, just like Abraham and Yitzchak sacrificed themselves. Unbelievable Chidush. And therefore, every time we beat and defeat the Yitzharam, <clears throat> we are performing another Akedat Yitzchak. But her end is as bitter as wormwood, as sharp as a double-edged sword. The double-edged sword is doubly lethal. And therefore, a person who involves himself with an adulteress, not, a, not an actual adulteress, but we said here the strange woman, person that involves himself in heresy, leads to death in this world, God forbid, and the loss of his chalik in Olam Habba. I saw an interesting perush on this pasuk by the Chevel Nachala, and he says that this pasuk warns the people specifically to be cautious about what they read. And just as wormwood once consumed tortures a person with its bitterness, la'ana, is aina is to torture. He writes, so too harmful reading material may seem very enjoyable at that moment, but it causes immeasurable spiritual torture. And even when a person tries to be selective, a person can make a mistake, like someone trying to grab a blade in the middle of a, of a double-edged sword. He's going to be cut, no matter where he touches it. And... Maybe there's no truer statement when you think about current day magazines and print media. When you think about all the advertisements, the advertisements alone, let alone the articles that are written, are dirty, they are filthy. It is scum to see the images portrayed on these advertisements. The covers of these magazines draw a person's eyes. It's impossible not to stare and it's right there. Society has it that we place these magazines everywhere you look. 
You can't shop at a supermarket without having these magazines blare right at you, glare right at you. You can't do anything. You can't avoid it. It's there. And you read the captions. You read the headlines. And you ask yourself, this is what we're showing the public. This is what we're showing general the society. I take my kids to a supermarket and this is what they have to read. This is what's there. And this is technically the kosher stuff. We know where the non-kosher stuff is. That's hidden in the back, pretending no one can access it. This is in front of us. When I was studying in yeshiva, at the time I couldn't understand why the yeshiva didn't allow the regular magazines. Forget about the tabloids, they didn't even allow sport magazines. You know, for us growing up, we love sports. Why can't we read a magazine about sports? But today, I realized what the yeshiva was trying to impart to us. It's not just the sports that's in the magazine. Halvai, it was only sports in the magazine. But no, it's the advertisements, it's the, the, the scum pictures that you find in there that are just poison to the eyes. And maybe this is what the Chevel Nachala is trying to say over here when he says that you can try to be selective, you think you can just skip it over, but it's like grabbing a double-edged sword, it's bound to cut you. This is what it is. Her feet descend to death. Her footsteps come near to the grave. The Al-Sheikh explains these psukim as a warning to beware of the Yetzirara. Just like the forbidden woman, the Yetzirara comes as a friend, concerned about you. He's concerned about your welfare. He entices you happy with you with happiness. He entices you with promises of pleasure. And the truth is, the opposite takes place. He's the bitter enemy. Our rabbis tell us in the Gemara, Hu Satan, Hu Yetzerara, Hu Malachamavit. He is the Satan, he is the evil inclination, he is the angel of death. The very same force that misleads a person to sin goes in front of God and indicts the sinner and then gets God's permission to kill him. What a very scary thought. This is a pure backstabber. The accomplice turns into the informer, which turns into the executor. You thought this person was on your side. You felt you had you had the inclination to confide with, the, oh my gosh, I got, I feel a little bit okay, you know. No, in the end, he's going to backstab you. He's going to tell God, this is what you did. And you're deserving of so-and-so punishment. Lest you liken the path of life to hers, her courses wander astray, you cannot know. A person should not weigh and compare the ways of Torah against the ways of the forbidden women. The ways of heresy like we explained. A person should not ask himself, which should I choose? Should I choose the Torah path or the latter? Because the course, the way of the adulteress, of this foreign woman moves towards the grave. But if a person even begins to consider the evil ways of the forbidden woman, he will not know how to beware until he falls off the path completely. Lefales means to align. 
And the Metzudot explains, sometimes we try to compare things. Forget about choosing. We try to compare the wisdom of the Torah with that of heresy. And if a person does that, then the course that they take goes totally off path. There's absolutely no basis to compare the two whatsoever. According to the Malbim, says deeper, that the metaphor of this pasuk warns against the philosophical attempts to prove God's existence. And there have been plenty over the course of history. Just as the detour past the house of the forbidden woman moves completely away from the straight path, and the, invid- the, the person who follows it becomes lost and cannot find his way back, so too, a person who philosophically speculates, HaKadosh Baruch Hu leaves him, un- leaves him confused. Rather than helping uh, one find a firm foundation in b- a belief of Emunah, it entraps him with his skeptic- skepticism. It makes it difficult and impossible to find the true path of God. You don't have to go so far back. The Hasid Yavetz notes that the Jews who faced the tortures of the Spanish Inquisition with an ingrained faith, with an emunah unquestioning acceptance of God, those were the ones who retained their faith in the face of the worst horrors imaginable. But those people whose belief in God was based on philosophy, based on analytical scholarship, those who were the ones who succumbed when confronted with the fiery scepter of the Spanish government forcing them to convert to Christianity. Rashi, who cites a Midrash, tells us famously that the Torah does not specify the rewards for performing various commandments. And the reason why the Torah doesn't tell us the rewards for mitzvot is so a person, will not, so a person should not choose to perform only the ones that earn a large reward and neglect the others. If a person does so, attempting to choose which path he wants, this is not right. The Midrash compares this to a king who hired workers to plant an orchard without revealing the wages of tending to the different plants. And he, Why? Because he feared that if, he, if the pay scale would be known, workers would choose to plant only the plants that would bring them the higher income. And the other plants in the orchard would be neglected. And so too, if the reward for the mitzvot was known, people might only do the ones that carried the great reward and neglect the others. Only in two cases did the Torah specify the reward for a mitzvah. For the kalash bakalot, the easiest of the easy mitzvah, shiluach hakan, sending away the mother bird before taking its eggs or its baby birds. And the hardest of the hard, which is honoring the father and your mother. And Torah states that the reward for both of these commandments is arichut yamim, is long life. And therefore, confirming that human intelligence is absolutely incapable of evaluating the importance of mitzvot. If something so small can give me long life, then something so much more difficult should give me even more? No, long life. We don't know how to measure the reward for our mitzvot. And now, my children, listen to me. 
Now Shlomo HaMelech, after repeating what his father taught him, he's now talking to us. And he says, before a person sins, he is so blinded by the pleasure with which the Yetzir Hara enticed him that he is impervious to rebuke. But so he says, my children, now that you've experienced the bitter consequences of sin and you are receptive to Musar, to rebuke, to reprimand, listen to me and do not remain in your sinful ways. Do not stray from the word of my mouth. Distance your way from her. Distance your way from her and do not come near the door of the house. Do not pass the forbidden woman. Do not pass heresy. Even if she's not home, avoid her house completely. Metaphorically, it's a warning not only to stay away from actual idolatry and heresy, but even to avoid comparisons, even avoid books that discuss this and analogies that may lead to heretical thinking, justifying them as a means to strengthen your, your Torah knowledge. A lot of people do this. Ah, I want to learn about the other side so that it will bring me to strengthen my knowledge of the Torah. Says the Malbim, you can't do this. This is a, an admonition, Shlomo HaMelech is saying, to keep one's distance from places of heresy and promiscuity. The Chachamim repeatedly stress that there is a spiritual danger inherent in being in the proximity of evil. A person cannot rely on himself and his inner strength to withstand the influence of such environment. That's why the Chachamim advise us that disengagement is preferable to confrontation. Chaim Shmulevitz explains that Yosef Atzadik, after being accused by the wife of Potiphar, he ran out of Potiphar's house, leaving his garment behind, rather than stopping to take back his garment. Why didn't he go back to take the cloak that he left? If he would have taken the garment, she would have had no proof, no evidence that he did anything wrong with her. Why? Because he refused to tarry for even a moment in a situation of potential spiritual danger. If I'm there for even five more seconds, who knows what that's going to mean for me? Who knows if I'll succumb to the Avera? A Nazir as well is not only prohibited from drinking wine, but he must also walk around the vineyard rather than through it. To avoid putting himself in a place where he'll be exposed to the possibility of eating grapes, which are forbidden to him. And therefore, when we deal with our own trials of life, a person is therefore advised to run away, flee from the temptations, rather than confront them. Pentiten la'acherim hodecha, lest you give your glory to others, ushnotecha le'achzari, and your remaining years to the cruel one. This pasuk warns against turning your heart to other gods by giving them glory and praise. The Gemaran Masechet Avodah Zarah, the Mishnayot, speak about how harmful it is to cause strange gods to be praised. Chachamim were so worried about this that they prohibited doing business with the Goyim, with the idol worshippers around the period of the religious holidays. Why? So that they should not subsequently go and thank their idols. 
In the Ten Commandments, we say, we say, Lo Elohim acherim al panai. Rashi asks the question, what do you mean Elohim acherim? You shall not have other gods. Are there other gods? There's only one God. How can the Torah say Elohim acherim, other gods? These gods are referred to others, he says, because they are as powerless as strangers. They are like acherim. They're like strangers to those who worship them. They don't even call out to them. They don't even respond to them. And your years to the cruel one, your actions will cause the glory that was given to you from heaven to be taken away and given to others. God forbid you will die prematurely. You will be under the dominion of the Sarshal Geinam, the master of Geinam. Let strangers be sated with your strength and your painfully earned wealth be in a stranger's house. Here Rashi interprets the strangers in this pasuk as the Kohanim of the Baal, the priests of the Avodah Zarah. These people will acquire your money through their falsehoods. And therefore all the money in the world, all the mass wealth that you acquired in your life and all your hard work and labor to gain that money will end up in pagan temples. The Gemara Masechet Ba'abatra relates that Yirmiyahu Navi, the prophet Jeremiah, prayed that God punishes enemies by having their contributions, their tzedakah, go to fraudulent recipients. And by doing so, denies them even that merit of charity, that it does not go to worthy causes. And therefore, this pasuk warns that a person's sins, God forbid, can cause all of his hard-earned wealth to ultimately enrich who? The coffers of false religions. And therefore, his wealth ends up in the hands of aliens. A deserving person, a person who is zocheh, he will merit that his charity donations go to truly worthy causes. V'nahamta ba'achariteha. You will groan at your life's end when your flesh and your body perish. At the end of your life, on the day of death, when your flesh perishes, you will groan from heartache. Why is it that someone who is deathly ill or someone next to a person who is deathly ill why is it that we only find solace in the book of Tehillim and the holy books of scripture that we have in our Tanakh? Why don't people find solace in books of philosophy? And the answer is, once a person's physical powers have waned and he stands at the threshold of Olam Ha'emet, at the world of truth, he recognizes where the truth lies. Even, as, even if he had other beliefs throughout his life, he now understands where he should be standing. Rebeliao Lopian told of a Jew who had been an atheist his entire life and he became critically ill. His doctor said that an operation could save his life, but it might result in a permanent loss of consciousness. Having no choice, the patient had consented to the operation and as the doctors were about to begin this lifelong atheist Jew was heard calling out Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad because when you're there 
when you're on the cusp of Olam HaEmet, and you have nothing to look back on, and now you realize it's all over and done with, or at least close to, all you have left is Shema Yisrael HaShem Elokeinu HaShem Echad. Rav Eliyahu Lopian as well, here questions the redundancy of the phrase, when your flesh and your body perish, after the phrase, at your life's end. Why repeat that? And he explains with the tale of a poor person who having no clothing borrowed money on interest and purchased a piece of clothing, a garment. Since he had no money, the interest on his debt kept accumulating. And after several years, the garment wore out and had to be thrown away. And now this poor person was left in a hopeless situation. He still had to repay the loan for the garment, but the clothing itself had ceased to, <clears throat> has ceased to exist. Similarly, says Rav Lopian, when a person will stand in judgment in Olam Ma'emet, in the world of truth, he will be heavily in debt for all the pleasures in which his body had indulged in this world, while his flesh will already have rotted and decayed in the kever, in the grave. And then he will groan bitterly. He will bemoan the fact that he had not listened to the lessons of the Musar while he was still alive. I should have listened to my friend. I should have listened to my teacher. I should have listened to my parents. I should have listened to my rabbi. Oh, my rabbi told me I can't do that, but I still did it anyways. Because now we ask to repay all the debts accrued by a body that has been consumed in the grave. The Dubno Magid explains why the sinner will express his regret by groaning. The Pasuk Shlomo HaMelech here said, Venahamta, rather by, than by screaming. Why not Vetsa'akta? Why is he groaning rather than screaming? And the Dubno Magid compares this to a baker who stands in the market with a basket of beautiful delicacies to sell, croissant, danishes, uh, bagels, rolls. He's got so much to sell. A passerby who wishes to amuse himself at the baker's expense asks him, how, do you want, how much do you want for the entire basket of goods, the entire basket of pastries and baked goods? When the baker answers, two coins, the scoffer offers to pay in full on one condition, that the baker eat every confection in the basket under the customer's watchful eye. The baker agrees to eat everything that he has while the scoffer is looking over. But just as he finishes the last of the danishes, the last of the cakes, the customer runs off, leaving the baker totally empty-handed. What does the baker do? The baker cannot scream in protest because he caused this loss for himself. He can only groan at his own foolishness. So too, whatever spiritual damage a person's soul suffered in this world, it's your own fault. And therefore, he will groan bemoaning the damage he has inflicted on himself by his sins. Rabotai, after 120 years, when we reach Olam HaEmet, and we're in the heavenly court, waiting for 
the judgment of all judgments in front of Melech Malchia Melachim HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ask yourself the question, wouldn't you want to be clean of debt? Wouldn't you be ready to just soak in the eternal light of Shamaim, the eternal light of God, cashing in all of your good deeds and all of your mitzvot so you can get a front row seat with all the greats of history? Why do you want to go in there with such debt? Why do you want to go in there at the point where you can't even scream because you realize you did it to yourself because you failed to listen to the directives of your teachers and your parents and your rabbis and your leaders because you thought you knew better, because you thought you could open the magazine and avoid the pictures, because you thought you had the internal power to avoid the Yetzehara when indeed you were taught not even to cross its path, you have to avoid it, you have to avoid it completely. We thought we knew better. We think we know better, but we don't. Therefore, it's up to us to take it upon ourselves to say, I know what I want to become. I'm going to start thinking and looking farsightedly like we began this class. I know, I want to know what the outcome is going to be. If I take this path, where is it going to get me? If I take this path, where is it going to get me? Start recognizing what you're capable of. And Bezrat Hashem, if a person does so, and he could do it, and he will do it, he will reach, after 120 years, a clean slate. And he can show Hashem, says, look, this is what I had, and I defeated it. I had, another, I had attempt after attempt of the Yetzirah trying to get me. And what I did, I'm no different than Abraham Avinu. I'm no different than Yitzchak Avinu. And he saw there was another ram. Who's the other ram? That's each and every Jew that's able to overcome and not succumb to the evil inclination. And every time we do that, it's a Kiddush Hashem. Every time we do that, we pass the ultimate test. And that's going to show up on our record. All the merit, all the good deeds, all the mitzvot, and the wonderful action that we do in this world, in addition to all the times we defeated the Yetzirah. Thank you tonight for joining us. Bezrat Hashem, we will continue this next week and we hear much more words of wisdom from Shlomo HaMelech on this topic and others as well. Wishing you all a wonderful night.